0: This morning's scripture reading comes from the book of 1 Samuel. We're in chapter 16, it's verses 1 through 5. 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 through 5. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem, For I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? Saul will hear about it and will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one that I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled. When they met him, they asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Please be seated.
1: Well, I'm delighted to be with you today, and I'm very grateful for your presence this morning. And uh, I'm happy to be back in Texas. I've been away. I went to uh, the Maybank congregation last Sunday night and spoke to them in their lectureship, and I'm very grateful to be with them once again, and I bring you greetings from that fine congregation. And then I went to uh, Upper East Tennessee, to Knoxville, and was speaking on their lectureship there at uh, the East Tennessee School of Preaching. It has a rather lengthy name now, a very fancy name, but that's what it used to be called, and and I was very happy to be with them. And it's always good to be back up on the Clinch River and back up in the Smoky Mountains. But I'm happy to be back in Texas where the deer and the antelope play around thunderstorms and tornadoes. <laughs> uh, on a more serious side, though, I thank, thank you, Danny, for mentioning those people who suffered because of tornadoes. We've had some serious weather in the last few days, and I'm very grateful that... Uh, We're able to be together, and if we need to help them, we stand ready to help in any way that we possibly can. So it's certainly not a joking matter for those who have suffered reversals because of those storms. And we keep them in our prayers, and we want to help them if we possibly can. I'm very grateful for all those who filled in for me while I was gone, Phil and others, and the fine job they always do, and I'm always very happy to be back with you in in East Texas. I'm speaking today about one of my favorite characters of the Bible, His name's David. I'll do this from time to time because I admire him so much. And I think about and study so much about him from the pages of the Bible. But I want to look at two things primarily in our study today. First of all, I want us to study something of the circumstances behind the anointing of David. It's a very monumental point in the pages of the Old Testament. And I'd like to talk a little bit about the anointing of David and the details and the circumstances that went in that and as I work my way through some of those details I'll make an observation here and an observation there and then secondly the second part of our lesson will be devoted to specific lessons that I should take away from this particular incident and that will make me a better child of God and I always ask myself that question when I'm studying the Bible how is this going to make me a better Christian how is this going to help me grow in faith? how does this make me be the kind of person that God God is going to be pleased with and i want that i want in a very practical way to implement and augment these elements into my christian faith and my christian life so that i can be pleasing in the sight of god and that i can go to that beautiful place the bible calls heaven so that's a big part of our lesson today first of all the details and some observations pertaining thereto and then in turn we have some lessons that are specific in nature with regard to myself personally and I hope you'll take personally as we go from this place of worship today I'm in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and one of the things that Samuel has been told to do is to go to that place whereby he is to pronounce judgment as a judge of Israel and uh, he is going to replace Saul Saul was a A good man, wasn't he? He started out that way. Saul was head and shoulders above all the princes of Israel, but yet he made mistakes. I think Saul's biggest problem was he wanted to do things his way. Uh, He saw the word of the Lord, but yet he decided he was going to do it his way. He started out in such a wonderful fashion. He's a tragic figure in the pages of the Old Bible. You know, he, he goes up against Nahash the Ammonite, and what a man of courage he was, where He hews the oxen in pieces and has them dragged out throughout the nation. says, now that's what it's going to be like if you don't come out and help Saul defeat the Ammonites. And he mustered the people together. And as one body they went out and fought against Nahash the Ammonite. And won and destroyed this wicked aggressor that came upon the nation of God's people. But yet it's a pitiful sight when he's up against the Philistines. And there in turn at Gilgal he offers the sacrifice. That's 1 Samuel chapter 13. It wasn't his place to offer any sacrifice. God had a great judge and he had a great prophet. And he had a great priest in Samuel. It was Samuel's job to offer the sacrifice. But when Saul saw that the people were drifting away from him and beginning to desert him, he went ahead. He had waited seven days to offer the sacrifice and he waits. But he just felt like he couldn't wait anymore. And he offered the sacrifice. And you know what? A lot of times people will think that way. Well, what difference does it make? What difference? God has given us the instruction that the priest will offer the sacrifice and God will bless his people through the priest. But what difference does it make if I'm the king? I'll go ahead and offer the sacrifice. And just as soon as Saul offers the sacrifice, Samuel comes upon the scene. He says, what have you done? What have you done? I told you to wait. Well, and typical, he starts blaming the people. He says, well, you know, the people were leaving and, I, and the Philistines are down there. and I, I felt like that they weren't going to stay with me and offered to sacrifice. You see, God means what he says, and he says what he means. And when God says something, he wants it a certain way, then that's the way it's going to be. And now God has rejected Saul as king because there's been too much of that. Saul wanted to do things his way rather than God's way. And he can't seem to get in his mind. God means what he says and says what he means. And if God wants it done a certain way, then that's the way it's to be done, that we are to obey him. It's a lot like modern man. I see Saul, a lot of modern man in Saul, whereby modern man is trying to say, Well, we've got good intentions here. Our heart's right. Our hearts are in the right place. We want to do it this way, and I'm sure God will be okay with that. And I hear that a lot. A lot of people want to speak for God. But the only way we can speak for God is what God has already said to us in the Scripture. When God has said it, then that's the way it's going to be. That's God's mind on the matter. And I don't have the authority and I don't have the right to kind of put words in the mouth of God and say, well, no, this is the way God wants it done. I can only go as far as the Scripture. And we've got to learn the lesson not to go beyond what is written We don't go beyond the word of God. We take God's word at its face value. And out of faith, we live it and we do it and we believe it. God rejects Saul as king because Saul couldn't learn that and he was rebellious. And so, a new king needs to be anointed. And Samuel's grieving over Saul. You'll remember the reading. And God said, how long are you going to grieve for him? How long are you going to keep grieving? I want you to go to another place. I want, to go, want you to go to Bethlehem. And there as you go to Bethlehem, you're going to anoint another king. And you're going to anoint a king from that particular house that I will show you. Isn't it interesting? He has him go to Bethlehem to anoint a king. You know, if it had been up to us, you know where we would probably have gone? we probably would have gone to the school of the prophets and picked out a great scholar to be king of the children of Israel. Or perhaps we would have gone to the army and picked out a great military leader to be the next king of Israel. Or perhaps we would look at the elders at the city gates and we'd say, now that guy's a great civic leader there, a very uh, important leader of people in a civil fashion. Let's pick him to be the next king of Israel. But he doesn't go to any of those places the next king of Israel is going to be a king from the poor he goes to the little family a poor family at the time there in turn God tells him how to do it he says now I want you to go to this family and he says well now wait a minute if I go down there he's going to think that I'm going down for some special reason and so he'll kill me. Saul will seek me out and kill me if he sees me going down there. And God says, now you go and expressly give them the purpose that uh, you're going for offer sacrifice and that they're to participate in the sacrifice. In this particular instance, God had a sp- particular purpose in mind. God's not endorsing lying or any means of deception in the passage. He simply is saying, We have a particular purpose in mind. I have my purpose. You will tell them that you will go down and offer the sacrifice, which you will. You're going to offer the sacrifice. God's not endorsing any kind of lying or hedging or any kind of white lie is being endorsed here at all. Not at all. You know, I was watching the Andy Griffith show the other day. And forgive me for that, but there was a weak moment when I wasn't doing anything, so I was watching the Andy Griffith Show. I'm kind of surprised as I look back on those episodes again. If you'll notice that carefully, a lot of times the end justifies the means in the Andy Griffith Show, whereby Andy will kind of hedge it this way so that it will turn out that way. God doesn't do that. God doesn't lie. God is very forthright with regard to the matter, and His will will be done. And He's protecting Samuel. He's not like Andy Griffith, where by in some of those shows, the end justifies the means. Now we're that way. We, we sometimes will say it one way and spin it away so that we can have it our way at the end. And we justify that by saying, well, this is the end result. Our yea should be yea and our nay should be nay. We should be plain with regard to our speech. And we shouldn't be the kind of people that would hedge or lie or deceive. But everything we say should be honest and clear and forthright. By the time you get to verse 4... Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. God instructs him. And Samuel obeys. Isn't that a wonderful characteristic of Samuel? Samuel is a man of God. He's one that really does the will of the Lord. What a great servant of righteousness Samuel was. Ask of God. A wonderful mother, Hannah, didn't have children. And she wanted a son. She wanted children. She said, Lord, if you give me a son, I'll devote him to your service. And God gave her a son, and she devoted him to God's service. And what a great man of God Samuel was. And when God tells Samuel to do something, he does it. He comes to Bethlehem. And the elders of the uh, city come out trembling. The judge has come to Bethlehem. And they're trembling. Have we done something wrong? Have you come in peace? What's going to be the situation? He says, I come in peace. Come in peace. I'm bringing this cow down here. You can see this calf that's being brought. And we're going to sacrifice this calf. We're going to have a feast. Now when they would sacrifice and had a feast, most of the sacrifice went to the feeding of the people but at the same time a portion of it was devoted to the Lord and so the sacrifice was going to be given and the feast was going to be held and it must have been an exciting time in the days of Bethlehem and Jesse his household is invited invited to the feast There in this particular instance, I bet Jesse really felt excitement over that. We've been invited by the judge to come to the feast and to come to the sacrifice. And of course, David had a very popular grandfather named Boaz. And of course, this family was a pretty prominent family, though they were not wealthy by any means. They were shepherds and herdsmen. And yet they've been invited to the feast. And as they come to the feast, the oldest stands up and comes before Samuel. Samuel looks at that boy. Boy, he's a fine-looking young man. Boy, he looks like he'd be a king. But God said, no, now, don't be hasty, Samuel. Don't look at the outside. I look at the inside. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the inward appearance. In verse 6 he said, And they came, and he looked on Eliab, and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, verse 7, Do not look on his appearance, or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The original wording of the passage is very interesting. You know, God looks into the eyes, the idea, the outward appearance. We look at the outward appearance, but God looks into the heart. He looks into the eyes, and He looks into the individual. God sees the person for what He is. Now, what we do is we look at the outward packaging. We say, now that person looks like a preacher. Now, that person just looks like an elder or that person, he just looks like a quarterback. We want our quarterbacks to look like quarterbacks. And we want our preachers to look like preachers. And we want our elders to look like elders. But God doesn't look on the outward packaging. We might do well to listen to that lesson. I wonder how many young woman, young women's hearts have been broken because they were moved by a handsome profile rather than an inward heart of honesty and character and spirituality. How many young men have been disappointed and their hearts have been broken because they looked at the outward appearance of an individual rather than the inner heart? We're so superficial sometimes with regard to these particular matters. We look at the outward nature rather than the inward nature. And God in this passage is telling the judge how to judge, the judge is telling his judge. How you ought to judge. You shouldn't be looking at the outward package so much. The superficial things that we look at so much and so often. How this person looks or how this person dresses. These are not the real character qualities of an individual. But God's looking at the heart. Don't be turned by a pretty face or a handsome profile, he tells Samuel. God sees through that and sees the individual for what they really are like. Jesus tells us to make a righteous judgment. John chapter 7. And I've been at the bedside of some people I thought were spiritual giants. And I say by the bedside because they were dying of this or that. And I'm thinking of one particular godly woman I knew a long time ago. And she was dying of cancer, and she did die of cancer, bless her heart. But every time I'd go to see her, and her husband was there with her, and she had um, such a positive attitude. She had such a consideration for me and what I was trying to do, such a heart for the work of the church that I was working with and for at the time. And I would go away thinking every time, I wonder if I were in that kind of situation. Would I have that kind of attitude? Would I have that kind of heart? Would I have that kind of consideration? Facing what she was facing like that. You see by just looking at the outward packaging there wasn't much there. And this poor frail frame was falling away. But yet in her was a heart of love and a heart of compassion and consideration for people, for the church of the Lord, for God, for God's Word. And even though she was dying of this terrible disease, she'd talk about the Scripture with me. And she would ask me questions and we would talk about the Bible. And I thought, what a wonderful person. Sometimes when we just look at the outward packaging, we're going to be fooled into thinking that's the real person. When within that person is a heart, Within that person is a soul that longs for God and longs for God's word. I think it's something that Samuel learned here. God, the judge, is teaching his judge how to judge. And it's not always on the outside that we look at. But we look through to the eyes. We look through to the inner person to see what they're really like. Now I'm in verse 10 and I'm back at the feast. Now I'm talking about details of David's anointing. There they come up with another young man. And uh, boy, he's, he's got to be a good looking guy. His name's Abinadab. Then Jesse called Abinadab. Made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then another son steps up. Such a fine family. Shamma. Shamma stands up. Must have been a fine looking young man. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Verse 9. And every one of these boys passed before Samuel. And Samuel's getting the word from the Lord. This is not him. And Samuel's beginning to wonder, well, where is this very special person that God has chosen to be king of Israel and to replace Saul, the king at the present? And Samuel turns to Jesse and says, are these all the sons you have? He said, well, we've got one more boy. We've got another boy. Samuel says, well, where is he? He said, well, he's out there tending the sheep tending the sheep he's the youngest that with the herd he said bring him here now i just wonder about that a little bit i wonder why david wasn't there already there was a feast samuel the judge was offering sacrifice that's a pretty important matter. Why wasn't there David there to begin with? I can't answer that question because the Bible doesn't tell me. It would seem to me, from my looking at the scripture, that this was a time when every boy should be there. Everybody of the family ought to be there for such a consequential religious observance. But yet, young David is not there. I don't know if David decided that's for the big folks and not for me. Or if the big folks said to David, you're such a young boy, don't you bother with this. This is important stuff. This is adult stuff. This is not for you. You stay back there and herd the sheep. David should have been there. And I don't know why David was not there. Originally, I think he should have been there. But he's not there. And he comes in, like he's been told. And he must have been dusty and dirty and dirty and sweaty and he comes in his work clothes before Samuel and God says that's the one you're going to anoint him as king of God's heritage you know what he must have smelled like sheep Sheep are not my favorite animal. I don't know anything about sheep. We were cattlemen back in Tennessee. I don't know anything about raising sheep. Don't really care to know anything about it. But he's with the sheep. And he probably smelled like the sheep. You know what? Leaders of people are like their people. You know what? Elders of the church smell like the church because they're with the church they're a part of it they're in their homes they're considerate of them in their daily lives they're with them we might say it this way they mix it up with members of the church David was a leader he's out there with the sheep He probably smelled like the sheep because he's working with the sheep. Elders of the church are that way. They work with the people for which they lead. They smell like them. They are like them because they're leaders of those people spiritually. They lead them in the pathway of righteousness. Acts chapter 20 and 28. Feed the church of God, the flock of God, which he has made you overseers. You lead them and you're involved in their life and you know them and they know their leaders. Because that's what elders do. And and that's what God wants elders to be like. And David's that kind of leader. He's out there with the sheep. And he was dusty and he was dirty because he's working with them. Now God says that's the man right there. The Bible says he was ruddy of complexion. I tried to run that word down as best I possibly can. The best we can know with regard to this ruddy complexion that he has verse 12 he's got a red complexion about him and he sent and brought him in now he was ruddy verse 12 and had beautiful eyes and was handsome and the Lord said arise anoint him for this is he this is the one I want because God sees on the inside now this ruddy complected boy If we understand it properly from the wording that we have, it must mean that he had a reddish complexion about him. You know what I think in my mind? You got a red-headed, freckle-faced kid here that stands before the judge and God says, pick him, anoint him. You know, by all practical purposes, we wouldn't have picked a... Red-headed, freckle faced boy to be king of Israel. We'd have picked Eliab. We'd have picked Abinadab. We'd have picked Because he fit the part. He looked the part. But God doesn't see on the outside. He saw on the inside. And he saw a heart in this man that walked after his own heart. A man who'd do it his way. Saul was rebellious in how that he would react to the people and fulfill God's word. But not this man. This is a man who walks after God's own heart. I know him He'll be the kind of man I want. He wasn't a regular run-of-the-mill kind of guy. This is a guy who's playing a lyre, a harp. This is a guy who spends his time out there on the hillside writing poetry. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Night unto night showeth speech, day unto day uttereth knowledge. What a great writer he was. He had a different bend to him. It was God's chosen, God's anointed. God picked him. He's more concerned about him being king of Israel than those boys. Samuel takes that horn of oil, an emblematic God's chosen one. He pours that horn of oil upon that red-headed, freckle-faced boy. Becomes the greatest king of israel isn't that amazing god's anointed him god especially chosen him god one day would use that kind of language with regard to his son how that god has anointed him a special word is used to identify him he's the messiah he's the anointed one that god has chosen him from the very beginning You know, there's some wonderful lessons that come from the details which I spent, you know, a few moments with. And I I enjoy the details. I like to talk about them. I like to study them because it helps me understand the lessons that God wants me to learn from the anointing of David. And one of the great lessons I'd have to remember is the lesson, God says what He means and He means what He says. Now, you can try to twist it. You can try to turn it. You can try to make it say whatever you want to, but God has said to Saul, no, I'm taking the kingdom away from you. And there would be these moments of great melancholy and sadness that would come upon Saul. And who by chance would be the one that would give him some encouragement and some relief, but a young shepherd boy who would play the harp, the lyre, and give him some encouragement because he knew God was taking the kingdom away from him and giving it to someone else. It wouldn't be to his family. It'd be to another family. And that great family was being represented by the one playing the harp at that very moment. God means what He says, folks. God says what He means. If God meant it this way, then He would have said it that way. If God meant it another way, He would have said it another way. God is giving us in the pages of the Bible His Word. And we are duty-bound, honor-bound to respect the Word of God and not go beyond beyond it. One of the great lessons we can learn from David and Saul. One of the great lessons we can learn from the apostles. Christ Himself. Don't go beyond what God has written somebody's always coming up with a new idea. And they'll come to me and they'll say, well, you know, what about this? Why can't we do that? And i say, well, that's a good idea, but what does the Bible say about it? Does the Bible authorize that? Well, if they say, well, no, then I have to say, leave it where you found it. We're not going to do that. Because here we're going to do what the Bible says. If they say yes to that, I say, well, is it an expedient matter for us to do? Maybe we can do that. We'll discuss that with our elders and see if that's expedient for us to do. If there's Bible authority for it. But the first question is always, does the Bible teach it? Does the Bible authorize it? If the Bible does not authorize it, then leave it where you found it. And there's always somebody coming up with the idea. Now, why couldn't we do this? Why couldn't we do that? After all, so-and-so's doing that, or such-and-such is doing that. And I say to that, what difference does that make? The only question we have in our mind is, what did God say about it? Because we serve a God who says what He means, and He means what He says. And we better be doing it, because we're going to be judged by one great day. That's a great lesson I need to learn. And the sooner I learn that lesson, the better off I'm going to be here and in eternity. But i got another great lesson that I wanted to learn, and I did see in this particular detail, and that is be patient, wait on the Lord. You know, that's one of his big problems. Saul's problem was he wouldn't be patient. And I think I can see that in a number of people in the pages of the Bible. And that's being given to me for good reason, because these Bible examples, Romans chapter 15 and 4, are very clearly telling me now, They're going to teach you something if you will listen to them very carefully. Abraham and Sarah would not wait on the Lord. Well, they were impatient. And that whole Hagar-Ishmael thing came about. And the problems that ensued because of that for lack of patience. Be patient and wait on the Lord. And let the Lord work His plan out in my life. One of the hard things I've got to live with in my life is this matter of I need to be patient because I live in a time and I live in a day when I want that right now I want it I want it now and I want that immediate gratification of having whatever it is I don't care if it's a washer dryer or whatever it is I want it right now and there's that old preacher story about the fellow that they gave him a medal for being patient and and uh, they took it away from him because he became so impatient about getting the medal. But at any rate, you know, a silly story. But the point still illustrates what we're trying to learn today. Saul would not be patient and wait on Samuel to offer the sacrifice as the Lord intended. And he took matters into his own hands. And I don't want to make that kind of mistake. I do not want to be the kind of person that is impatient toward God or toward my brethren or toward things. Two interesting Greek words that we'll not get into today in the New Testament in particular about patience. One of them, be patient about things and circumstances that come up in life. Another word, be patient toward people and difficulties that you face in dealing with people. Makrothumia and hupomone. Two great words. They just sound good to me. I like The way they sound. But the concept behind those words. Are words which convey. Great patience. That was the problem with the rich man and Lazarus. In Luke chapter 16. The rich man wanted to have it all in this life. The thing that you and I need to learn. As Christian people. Be patient. And say no. To the things of this life. And wait. For the glory of the life to come. Say no. Be patient. I'm not going to have all these things here in this life. And be patient with that. And learn to wait. For the glory that is to be received in eternal life. That's a great lesson. Be patient. One thing that God's people need today is a dose of patience. Because I know that over there. I'm going to receive. I may not have it here. I may not have what others have here. But I know one thing I'm going to receive over there. I'm faithful in obedience to the Gospel of Christ and faithful in living the Christian life. One thing I learned in this matter that wherever you find yourself, work hard, work hard, be honest, and God will reward. Who would have ever thought that a young boy like David would become the greatest king that Israel has ever had? Oh, there was Solomon, the son of David, but it was David who unifies the nation you had Ten tribes in the north, two tribes in the south, and that was hard for them to get together. But David unifies the nation into one nation, 12 tribes working together. And here he moves the kingdom from Hebron to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem becomes the capital of the nation. Seven and a half years king over God's people in Hebron. But then later he moves the capital after he conquers the city from Jebusites. And there the city Jerusalem, city of peace, becomes the headquarters and becomes the city of God's people. And God took that for those people and provided it for them through this young man. His name was David. God took him and blessed him. I think about Joseph. And Joseph took that man out of the pit. God took Joseph out of the pit and placed him in, in the palace of Egypt. He goes from the pit to the palace. Oh, it was a difficult journey in between being in prison. But look what God did. He did the very best he could be and was the best he could be. I guess the point that I'm trying to emphasize is the fact that whatever the situation you might find yourself, be the best Christian you can possibly be. You work hard at it. Be honest. And God will reward you. No, it's not that I'm earning salvation. I can't earn God's blessings. Why, we all beg for the mercy of God. And we beg for the forgiveness of God. Based on faithful repentance and obedience to the gospel of Christ. But God will reward. He'll reward in this life and in the life to come. Look what he did to David. And he took David to places and did things with David that David never would have dreamed of. And look what he will do for us if we'll be but patient and hard working in living faithfully the Christian life day by day. Isn't that an important lesson that you and I need to learn from the anointing of David? Work hard. Be faithful, and God in His mercy and graciousness and His kindness will reward each one properly. Here's something I want you to think about. I want you to think spiritually. I try to work on this every single day. Now, the world wants you to think worldly, but we are to think spiritually. I think that's a big part of Saul's problem and David's heart. Saul was a worldly-minded man. He was thinking more of himself than he was the will of God. David was a spiritually-minded man. Thus, his heart that God would write about. He's thinking about the work of God and doing the will of God. Now, let there be no mistake about it. Let's understand what we mean by thinking worldly and thinking spiritually. When we talk about this matter of thinking spiritually, it means to think the way God would have me to think. Have the values of life that God would have me have. To think God's way rather than the worldly way. In First John chapter 2, verse 15, I think you have a wonderful passage that helps us understand this matter of thinking spiritually as we should. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eye and the pride of life is not from the Father but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. Verse 17. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Isn't that a fine statement to help me understand about spiritual thinking? And to have my kind of, uh, God's kind of mindset in my mind. Sat next to a girl coming back on the airplane. Uh, she's got, it's obviously a college student. And, and she's got this book called Mindset. And I looked at that, and that word, mindset, just got my attention. I thought, I'd like to read that book. And so I said, tell me about that book. I'm interested in that. Uh, help me understand that particular matter. And then from that conversation, I began to talk to her about the fact I'm a minister for the Churches of Christ, and mindset is an important thing to me. And she looked at me and listened to me for a while, and she was kind. And then after a little while, she had these... Um, Headphones, And she put those headphones over her ears. And I could tell by that gesture, this conversation is over. <laughs> she has a different mindset than me. She doesn't want to hear me talk about spiritual matters. Some people are that way, they don't think spiritually. Because they love the world. And they love the things of the world. David was a fine example of a man who had a spiritual mindset about him. Concerned about the affairs of God and the things that God had given him to do. I've got to be that way. I've got to learn to be more spiritually minded. Here's something that I think is important for all of us and I promise to be brief. We've got to use our time wisely, don't we? I don't know how many times the Bible, especially in the New Testament, emphasizes the importance of buying up every opportunity that we have to serve the Lord. We have a wonderful opportunity. Let's take advantage of the opportunity. It may be Bible study. It may be worship service. Uh, It may be an opportunity to help someone else. I need to use that opportunity to take care of my spiritual life. David was a man that was that way. He would take care of the sheep. But yet as he takes care of the sheep, he writes poetry. And he plays a harp in such a professional way, such a skillful way, that the king actually has him come and and play for him. Take the time. Buy up the opportunity to study that passage and to read that book of the Bible. Use your opportunities as God has given them for spiritual growth and development, for growing in faith as we really should. And then prepare your children. Prepare your children to be used by God and to help them understand how important it is to live for God and to be used by Him. Let them know that this life is very short and very uncertain and that we need to be living our lives for Him as much as we faithfully can. You know, if I had a choice to pick out one Bible verse... That everybody's familiar with, that everybody knows. I think I would be uh, pretty confident that everybody would know this verse The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. by inspiration from a red headed freckled boy anointed by Samuel to be king of Israel most popular passage in the Bible everybody's read it and what a heart touching passage it is you know I think about that first verse the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want why don't we think about that last verse and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You being obedient to the gospel of Christ. Repenting of your sins as the Bible teaches. Luke 13, 3, Confessing your faith in Christ. Matthew ten thirty-two and 33. Confessing and being baptized into Christ. Acts 2, verse 38. Can be added to the kingdom of God now. And by living the faithful Christian life. Romans 12, 1 and 10. Can enter into the house of the Lord forever. Eternal life. And that opportunity is presented for you today. To become a Christian. An obedient child of God. Not according to the ways of the world. But according to the teaching of the Bible. The New Testament. The opportunity is given us today to live the Christian life. And if we've made a mistake. We can repent of those. Isn't that great? I can repent of my sins and start all over again. One of the things I love about being a Christian. And then I can go to heaven by faithfully living the Christian message and teaching it to others. Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.